0: Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy
1: Weiner. Hello, this is episode number 351, Four Dating Blocks to Finding Real Love with Love Coach Veronica Grant. I'm Sandy Wiener, and welcome to Last First Day Radio, the place to be for creating healthy, lasting relationships in midlife. I am on a mission to help women play bigger in life and love. And with the deeper work that we do together, women begin to value and love themselves enough to set clear standards, to speak up more powerfully, and to stand up for the things that matter most. In short, they become A woman of value and a woman of value attracts her best partner and lives her best life. This week's tip on how to become a woman of value is adapt a positive mindset. This is actually one of the most important things in my mind because many of us go about our lives with a very negative kind of fixed way of looking at the world and when we shift our mindset everything shifts and so if we have a choice to see the world as a as a hostile place, or as a friendly place. And if you approach dating in the same way, you will start to look for the good in people instead of finding faults. And I just did a video on the top 10 reasons why you're still single, and one of them was that we just look for what's wrong. So I'd like to challenge all of you to start looking for the good instead of the bad and see what happens. Before I bring on Veronica, I just want to just give a shout-out to my Facebook group. It's a free group for women over 40, and it is called Your Last First Date. Don't forget the your, but I would love to have you join us. We are a positive, as you can tell by my last tip. We are all about positivity and finding solutions, not complaining, venting, broad sweeping, you know, calling men names, none of that is acceptable in our group. We are heavily monitored so that posts don't get posted if they are negative and, um, and really victim-y. We're we are here to grow and to learn. And so if that sounds like something you would love, join us at Your Last First Date on Facebook. And now for my guest today. She is Veronica Grant. She's a love coach for successful women who feel like they have everything but love. She has a podcast, she has free challenges, and she coaches. And she is here to shake up how you find love, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. She has a few guilty pleasures. And she is a recovering perfectionist. And some of her guilty pleasures are binge watching HGTV, going on hikes with her husband and her dog, and everything sushi. She's a girl after my own heart. So, <laughs> welcome to the show, Veronica. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you. First of all, I have to know what's your favorite sushi? <laughs> well, a rainbow roll. <laughs> Every time oh, I go
0: I, to a restaurant, I always say, I'm going to get something different,
1: but I always just get the rainbow roll. <laughs> I always get the same thing, too, pretty much. <laughs> when you know what you like, you, you're going to trust what you like. So what's in the exactly. rainbow roll?
0: The rainbow roll is uh, usually just the California roll, and then on the outside, it's like a rainbow of fish. So it's usually some sort of selection of salmon and tuna, maybe some sort of whitefish, avocado, Um And so it's just, like, everything. So, like, all the things that I like in sushi is just in a rainbow roll,
1: and it's delicious and amazing. (laughs) Mm, Sounds good. Do you also like everything bagels? (laughs) Yes, I actually do love everything bagels. (laughs) I don't eat them that
0: much because my husband's a celiac, um, and so we don't have Ah. gluten in the house. Um, And then now we live on the West Coast, which they just don't do bagels very well here. Um, But when we go back to New Jersey, where he's from, I always make sure that I get a
1: really good bagel because they're just the best and everything bagel of course (laughs) of course (laughs) all right so now we've established you're an everything girl and I would (laughs) love to have you share your story about what inspired you to become a love coach yeah so it
0: is totally um a by accident career for sure like if you had told me five years ago Veronica you're going to be helping women with dating and relationships I'd be like You must have the wrong person. Um, So I spent my whole life pretty much really being interested and um, enjoying all aspects of fitness and health and food and eating and to the point where it probably wasn't so healthy, um, where I was just obsessed with eating a certain way and, like, looking a certain way and always losing weight. I can remember the first time I felt fat on the bus going to sixth grade. It was right after Christmas, and I was like, oh, I need to lose that weight, and that was just learned behavior. From, um, you know, that I learned from my mom and just from, you know, society and women growing up and everything like that. And so I started teaching fitness classes um, when I was in college. And, and then I got this job and I really, really, really hated the job. Probably starting on day two or three, I was just like, oh crap, I'm in the wrong job. Like, this is horrible. And so I was just looking for, well, what do I, I want to do? Because this is awful and I want to get paid more, I want to get out of the nonprofit scene, which is where I was. And it hit me. I was like, well, I love teaching fitness classes and yoga classes. Why do I only do that on nights and weekends? And so I was talking to my friend about it, and she was like, I hear you, Veronica, but don't you think you would just get bored teaching all the time? I don't think you would feel really challenged. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And then she was like, you should check out my friend's uh, website. She does health coaching, and I know she teaches yoga, too, but she has this business where she's actually, you know, helping people beyond just the fitness studio. And I just thought this was brilliant. I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And so I enrolled in health coaching school, and I got my certification. And I started taking clients, and it was great. Um, but I just got really bored with the topic. Like I send my blog post out every Thursday morning and it'd be like Wednesday night and I'd be like, Oh crap, I need to write something for my audience. <laughs> and so if mm-hmm. I didn't like writing it, people probably didn't like reading it in all honesty, <laughs> but I just felt like I didn't really feel very connected to the issue. And I couldn't figure it out because this has been really like a lot, a big part of my life. It's just, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. Um, and so And so then I was just, you know, running my business. It was not doing great, but, like, whatever. It was fine. And I was working with a life and business coach at the time, and we were really trying to work on my messaging and branding and all that kind of stuff. And I just mentioned to her casually one time, I was like, you know, it's so interesting. All my friends, like, they want me to write their dating profiles, and they always want my advice on whatever their dating situation is. And actually one friend just took me out to lunch today because she wanted to talk to me about her relationship. And, and then like, I don't know, maybe like half hour later I said, oh yeah, so all these women in my community, they're always telling you that they want to lose weight so that they can go out and date or feel confident dating. And my coach was like, hold up, Veronica, um, let's just put two and two together here and start following some breadcrumbs. And at the time I was like, people don't pay for relationship coaching or dating coaching. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> and it turns out it is a thing. And, um, and within probably, like, just a couple hours of talking it through with her and thinking about it and then really looking at my own life in a whole new way, I realized that, you know, my issues around body image and my struggle to lose weight wasn't just for the sake of looking a certain way, but it was really to get validation from from men, from, you know, boys, because I was also pretty young when I started this, these habits. <laughs> um, and so then, like, everything just made so much more sense in my life, and, you know, that was been gosh, like three or four years ago. And I'm not bored yet <laughs> of just sharing content and ideas and advice and support for my clients and on my podcast. Like I just, I'm always coming up with new ways and I just, I'm like, okay, this is my calling. The health stuff is not my calling. And so that's how I got, got here, kind of a roundabout way, but wouldn't do it any other, do it wouldn't do it any other way.
1: Yeah, and it's a great story because I think often we think we have to know what we're good at or what our calling is right out of the gate. And especially younger people think, oh, I should know going into college what my passions are. And often in doing other work, we find what really resonates for us. And it's by making those mistakes or doing and getting really into the work and, and immersing ourselves that we see like parts of it made sense. You know, there were breadcrumbs there, but not all of it. And so when you connected the dots and found what you really were good at and what you really, what lit you up, it made a huge difference. Yeah. And it was also just having a coach, like having, and this is why I mean, I'm a coach. So
0: maybe I'm a little biased, but I do think that having that outside perspective, because when you're so in your life, like whatever the problem is, whether it's relationships or career or something else, and you're just so, like, you're looking at it from horse blinders. And I, I feel like in some level we can't help ourselves from doing that when it's our own stuff, because we're so close to it. And then you can have someone come from outside perspective, who's, you know, not biased and say, well, hold on a second. Did you see how these two things link together? And um, and to me, that's the value and power in, in coaching. And I don't know if I'd have ever figured that out on my own. Obviously it's all speculation because I have to coach that so who knows if I would have, but, I just that's to me that's why coaching is so powerful for whatever you're hiring your coach for because they're just gonna see things that you're not gonna be able to see.
1: Yeah, totally. I I agree. I mean that's obviously I'm a coach too and I I really believe in this (laughs) and I've always had coaches. You know, and it, it it's the coaches that I can tell you that my confidence grew because of my coach coach's way of seeing me in a way that I couldn't yet see myself. And, Mm -hmm. um, and even in my new business as, um, the empowerment coach, women's empowerment coach, that work came because I rehired my business coach. And she said to me, the woman of value is something that you have stood for, for all these years. That's the direction you need to go to go into. And it was like, it was right in front of my face, but I couldn't see it. So you, you sometimes need that mirror of somebody who can see your life in a way that you can't.
0: Totally. Totally.
1: Yeah. So let's let's talk about um something that you had written to me about a bathroom floor moment. And I, I'm really curious about <laughs> what that was for you. And I I think about Eat Pray Love in the beginning of that book where she's on the floor in the bathroom and she's <laughs> she devastated <doesn't> and <laughs> her husband has just left her, told her he's breaking up with her. Um, yeah, so what was your bathroom floor moment? So I had just moved to
0: washington d c when I actually started this job that I hated, and I had met this guy who was just i mean at the time I thought he was amazing. and to be to give you a little backstory, I had just finished working on the Obama campaign. I had been unemployed for a couple of months because the campaign ended in November. At this point, it was probably late January or so, and I was just starting the job pretty broke, um, about to move to a pretty expensive city, and I meet this guy. And he's a mutual friend, or a friend of, you know, a mutual friend. And that's how I met him. And he was, he just was able to sweep me off my feet. And he had, he was a banker, so he had a lot of money. So he could take me out on really nice dates. And he was, you know, happy to do it. He wanted to wind sign me all the time. And I just fell for it. And I let him do that. And, I mean, I let myself do that. Like, I just was so, like, oh, this is amazing. This is what... Love is what living in the big city is all, all about and everything. And, um, and so things were great for, I don't know, maybe just a few weeks. Like It wasn't that long in the grand scheme of things. And then we had a date planned, and he texted me, and he's like, hey, Veronica, I'm really sorry, but I'm too drunk to pick you up for our date. And I, my, start, my heart just dropped to my stomach. And, and then he immediately texted me, and he's like, but how about this? You take a cab out to where I am, and you just come out with my friends and me for the night. And he tried to spin it as, like, hey, you're meeting my friends. This is a good step, right? It's a good thing. And I just kind of let him have that win. I was, like, fine. Like, I wasn't fine with it, but I was fine. And so I went out. It was fine, whatever. And then we made plans at some point to hang out the next weekend. And so I'm, you know, getting ready. Or I'm not getting ready at this point, but, you know, I'm looking forward to hanging out from that evening. And I guess it was, like, a Saturday, and he went out to brunch, and I guess he had too many mimosas or something, and he texted me that afternoon. He's like, hey, I think I had too many drinks at lunch. I don't think tonight is going to work for us to get together. And this time there was no follow-up text, like, but just come off my friends, or, like, hey, let's do something tomorrow. There was nothing, like, complete radio silence for about three days or so, and then I think on Monday evening he finally called to apologize and basically say like, "Hey, like I realize that I've got some problems here that I need to figure out, need to work through, and I thought I could be in a relationship, but blah blah blah." So basically, he was saying what he needed to say after screwing up twice, and me, I had just got let him just basically you know, be my source of validation and confidence and living on top of the world, like all that kind of stuff. I let him do that for me. And so then when he was gone, I just felt like everything, like someone had just stuck a pin in my balloon and just everything deflated. And I was just, I mean, to say I was devastated was, you know, is an understatement. And um, it certainly didn't reflect the amount of time that we actually spent together, um, which now I know means something else is going on, something else is getting bumped up again. But at the time, I was just completely, completely heartbroken. So I'd like the email, like I believe in you. Like I can see the man that you're really supposed to be, you're meant to be, or blah blah blah. Like I really wanted to secretly be the person that changed him, or you know, you know, he was like my fixer upper project. So I was in the bathroom, mm-hmm. um, just getting ready to go out with I don't remember some friends or whatever, and I was talking to one of my guy friends, and I was literally trying to put mascara on as I had tears going down my face and like black cheeks going down my face from the mascara. It was just a mess. And I was just crying and sobbing. And my friend um, just, you know, in more choice language, was basically like, get the F over yourself. Like this guy can't even stay sober to go on a date with you. And he should have been so lucky to go on a date. And I was just kind of like "Uh, way to not be on my team or, you know, not sympathize with me or whatever. But then I realized, crap, he's totally right. Like, what am I allowing myself to, to do and to feel for this guy that we didn't really spend much time together, but, oh, my God, I was devastated. And in that moment, and we got off the phone and I was sitting on my bathroom floor just crying and crying and, like, why am I so upset? Why am I so upset? And that's when I just realized that this whole time, my entire life, I had been outsourcing my confidence to to um, to men and to my relationships. And for me, like, having a relationship wasn't just having a relationship but it was what that meant, and I was very attached to what that meant. Um, And so I had to let go of of that, and I had to start focusing on me and um, creating a life that was exciting for me and not just a life where I was hoping to add a guy to at some point. And so, you know, that's when I got, you know, okay, what am I going to do with this job that I hate and the career that I hated? Um, You know, that's when I was starting to, to lay the land of starting my first business Um, I started getting more into yoga and my spiritual practice, Um, you know, just doing easy, simple things, just like having a morning routine that felt nourishing. Um, I wasn't dieting to, or I wasn't eating to diet all the time, but I was eating for nourishment and for joy and pleasure. Um, And I just really leaned into this whole new way of being. And, you know, I got myself together and I started dating and I was meeting really, really great guys. And it was only um, a few months after that moment where I met my now husband. Um, And I really think, um, I tell this a lot of people, but we had a lot of mutual friends. And we had been circling in the same circle or, you know, opposite sides of the circle for many, many years. And I really believe that we weren't meant to meet until we did. Because, like, we should have met before because we were always hanging out with the same people. But we never met before. And I think a really big reason is because, I mean, at least, I can speak for myself, I wasn't ready um, to actually have the relationship that I thought I wanted. I was just ready to have a relationship because of what I made it it meant. Um, Yeah, Hmm. that's my story. It's my bathroom
1: floor moment. (laughs) That's a great story. I mean, devastation sometimes when we're brought to our knees, literally, and a good friend, is honest, a good friend tells you like it is, and I love that your friend just said, You know, wake the f up you know like <laughs> what did you tolerate because we can't see it we're too close, like we said before, right. and yeah. we have to get out of our own way in order to be ready to meet the love of our life and i I just yeah. think your story illustrates that so beautifully. I think a lot of people meet the right people at the wrong time and or they just don't recognize it at all and Mm-hmm. I've met some really high quality men who are totally not in the headspace to date and I don't date them. You know, it's like right. I, it's, it works both ways. So you've got to both be in the same space and be ready, be emotionally ready and willing and able. Um, so thanks for sharing that with us.
0: Yeah, my pleasure.
1: Yeah. So let's get to the topic of the four dating blocks. And I know you've uncovered four of them. So could you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, after working with hundreds of women,
0: I found there to be four main things that really um, trip them up, so to speak, the blocks that keep you from attracting the kind of partner that you want. And so the um, four, just I'll just list them off and go into them, are the future tripper, the saboteur, the pleaser, and the poor me. And in case anyone's wondering, the pleaser is by far <laughs> the most the most common, and the least mm-hmm. common is probably the saboteur, although I would say that based on the saboteur's characteristic, they're least likely to seek
1: out this kind of work, so. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so do you want to tell us a little bit about each one Yeah, so
0: the future tripper is the one who trips up on the future, meaning you're worried about the second date, and when that'll happen, even before the first date happened, or if you're freaking out, like, well, is there anything? Could there be anything here? Like, how does he feel? Or does he see me as marriage material? Is he marriage material? And like your mind just goes there, and you have a hard time staying present um, in that moment, whether it's literally on the date or just present to where that relationship or that budding relationship is. Um, and the reason why this blocks or why this holds people back is because when you're future tripping, you're unable to be present. And when you're unable to be present, you're just literally not able to make a connection with what's real and what's in front of you, including your potential partner. And, um, and whether or not this guy is meant to be your lifelong partner or whatever, um, there's just no possibility of a connection when your mind is out in the future. Um, the next one is the saboteur. And the saboteur, again, like I said, this is the, The um, least, I don't know, at least in my community, the least popular one, but the saboteur is the one who is always worried the other shoe is going to drop. Like, what's the catch here? Or is this guy lying to me? He's being really nice. I don't know. I don't trust it. I think he's kind of lying. And so then you might sabotage by maybe just, quote, unquote, acting crazy to get him to not be interested, or maybe you just simply blow him off. Or um, maybe you say something that you know is going to hurt him or make him, you know, not want to be with you or for whatever. But for whatever reason, you're getting outside of your comfort zone and outside of your comfort zone is being in a happy, healthy relationship. And you start bumping up against that. It feels comfortable. And so you do whatever you need to do in order to bring yourself back away from the edge, back into the center center part of your comfort zone. This um, this concept was popularized by Gay Hendricks in his book, um, The Big Leap. Um, so it's basically just about bumping up against upper limits and just sabotaging the heck out of yourself until you get away from those upper limits. Um, mm. The next, the next uh, energy is the, the, or the block is the pleaser. Um, this is the most common because I think um, for the most part, and this is generalization, but I think it's generally true is that for the most part women are taught to be pleasers um, just possibly by their parents, but I think also just by society. Um, You know, little girls dress them up in, like, their princess outfit with little bows and curls and everything, you know, get a lot of attention. Oh, you're so pretty, you're so cute, or whatever. And so it seems innocent, and it is innocent for the most part, but um, that kind of messaging over and over again can really lead to, okay, this is how I can get attention. And so as a little girl, it might mean wanting to play dress up, but then once you get to be an adult, it might mean, okay, what can I do to get his attention, to get him to like me, to get him to say nice things. Um, And so that's really what the pleaser block is all about. And the problem with being a pleaser is that you're a perfect match for someone who has narcissistic tendencies, (laughs) um, which is just never going to be a great fit. Um, Even Well, let me take that back. They're actually a great fit, um, the pleaser and the narcissist, but they don't necessarily create healthy relationships. Um, but they go together really well because the pleaser wants to please. And the person with narcissistic tendencies would love to have someone please them all the time. Right. And make everything about yeah. them. Um, and then the, the fourth energy or the fourth block that keeps you out of love is the poor me energy and the poor energy is, or excuse me, the poor me is like, like, woe is me? Poor me. Nothing's going to ever happen for me. Love isn't possible for me. Um, and, I mean, it can come across in a lot of different ways. I can kind of come across as, like, very victim poor me, poor-me kind of sadness. Or it can come across as, like, you know, F everyone. F the world. Like, guys suck. Online dating sucks. And and it, it can come across as one of two ways. But either way, it's more of just, like, the world is out to get me. The world is against me. And I'm not um, destined or wired for for love. And when you're in that energy, I mean, I think it's kind of – it's, it's obvious when I say it, I think like it's really hard to attract a healthy relationship from that place. Now you might be able to attract sort of relationship, but it's probably not going to be a healthy relationship because there's probably going to be some health, unhealthy dynamics if they're playing off your poor meat energy. Um, but obviously like, I mean, A, like I, I think most people probably don't want to be around, you know, basically like an energy suck like that. And two, you're not really able to put who you are out into the world if it's just kind of like poor me, woe is me. Um, and if you're more of like showing the, the angry part of the poor me energy, then it's really, really hard to basically be like screw men, I hate men, um, whatever. But then also want one at the same time. <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so those are,
1: <laughs> those are the, the four main dating blocks. Yeah, totally recognize them all. And um, once we, and if you go into my my Facebook group, we see a lot of this show up from time to time. Especially the the people who have had bad experiences and are like, "Well, online dating doesn't work; men suck," and that's why we really encourage women not to go into those those head spaces because it doesn't help anybody, and it's like a cancer in the group. It just sucks the life out of everybody and it's not Mm -hmm. helpful. So let's, let's talk about how to clear these blocks. How do you begin to clear it once you identify it? Well, okay. Yeah.
0: So identifying it is the first piece. And I think um, it seems simple, but it's also the hardest thing to do because you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, And so that's just the hardest piece. And I just feel like in some level there just has to be like, okay, something else might be going on and like a bravery in understanding that. And that like, not to say that like the problem is the women or you, because I don't think that's the case at all, but just to recognize, oh, maybe tender isn't the problem. Maybe men as a whole aren't the problem either. And then just being more curious to look inward and like, okay, so from where am I attracting these relationships? So that's the first piece is the awareness and I know I'm just gonna kinda of brush over that, but I just wanna emphasize how hard that first piece is because you just don't know what you don't know. Um, but then once you can understand like where some of your behaviors and patterns that are falling into one of these four categories are, then what you really wanna do is ask yourself why. Why do I sabotage potentially good relationships? Why do I want to please everyone? And why do I feel the need to please people in order to feel validated or good about myself? And what you start doing is when you start asking yourself why, I like to ask even more detailed questions like, well, what does this remind you of? When have you felt like this before? Where did you learn that this was normal in relationships? Or on the flip side, where did you learn um, to you know, do the opposite? Like, you know, if your parents are always fighting and then you didn't want to be in a relationship where you're always fighting and so you did the opposite of just like swallowing your feelings or whatever, you know, where did you learn that? And so everything always is going to go back to your childhood and relationships with your parents and what you saw between the two of them. And I have a lot of clients say, well, you know, Veronica, I was previously married, and I think a lot of this stuff comes from my, my marriage. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but I think I would argue that the marriage or whatever that, that relationship was previously um, is more of just a manifestation of whatever the childhood wounds are. And so you've got to start what I just refer to as just connecting the dots. And once you can begin to see how, you know, maybe you grew up in a household where it was very volatile, like maybe there was a lot of yelling or your parents were always fighting And so you learned that, okay, when you make a good grade, you get positive attention. And so, but you also didn't want to rock the boat and you didn't want to ask for, Hey, Hey mom, can I have five bucks to go to the movies with my friends or whatever? Because that could set her off. So you, you learned to not ask for things or ask for what you wanted, but you learned just to do really well in school or to like put the dishes away or whatever. And then you were going to get positive attention. So you're basically growing up on eggshells. Well, as a five-year-old, that's what that's going to look like, but then how is that going to look like when you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever? Um, it can very much look like not asking for what you need or want in a relationship, being made, allowing someone to make you feel guilty for asking for what you want, um, wanting to please them. And so you just got to start connecting the dots. And this is where, to me, like, it gets really fun. I love doing this kind of stuff. Um, and you don't have to connect to everything, but I think you do need to connect just a few key pieces to begin the healing because once you start this healing I think it's just an ongoing, lifelong process. Like, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time, both for myself and also with my clients, and I'll be walking the dog, and I'll just get, like, really triggered thinking about something that happened, and I'm like, dang, Veronica, where does this come from? And then I kind of trace it back. I'm like, oh, okay, so now I'm looking at this situation that happened in a new way. Um, And then from there, once you can begin to connect the dots, you just have to I say you just have to. It's not like a, just a simple thing, but you you basically have to reparent, parent or re-mother or re-father or whatever your your inner child and allow her to see the situation and feel the situation from a totally different perspective. Because when you're five years old, you see it from one perspective and your parents are basically what, who protect you. And whether or not they were, quote unquote, good parents, um, there's still a part that of you that knows you need them for life and death when you're little, right? Like a three-year-old can't make it on the street by themselves, right? Um, And so I think on an unconscious level, our brains understand that. And then when we start feeling unsafe or emotionally unsafe or whatever, or just not getting the love we thought we wanted or needed or whatever, that's when um, we can start to see ourselves or the world in a different way. And as an adult, you might be able to look back at situations and be like, well, you know, my parents have had their own stuff going on. It actually had nothing to do with me. They just didn't know how to manage their emotions or whatever. And yeah, your adult self may be able to look at that and see that from a rational view. The problem is, is a lot of people just stop there and they're like, yeah, Veronica, this stuff doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, because you're, you know, your 40-year-old, 50-year-old whatever self and looking at it rationally and getting it as an adult isn't enough. You've got to have your five-year-old self be able to look at it from that lens too which requires a lot of emotional work Um, and not just looking at it logically because the emotional body of your five-year-old is really I think what creates a lot of the subconscious actions behaviors beliefs that we have because those are just the first beliefs we created about ourselves and the world and men and relationships and love and so they just become very foundational so we have to shift that and I think the best way to shift that is through how your five year old saw the world and then from there your unconscious behaviors, actions, beliefs, things like that can begin to shift. Oh, I
1: mm. a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's it's very good advice and I, I I'm totally into the inner child stuff. I think that so much of our transformation happens when we can go back and, and really be compassionate to our to each of ourselves because we have many selves that have gone through different experiences at different stages in life. Um, and that's a whole other show altogether. <laughs> but um, totally. This is great information. I, as, as a final word of advice for our audience, can you tell, tell uh, um, everybody how they can go on their last first date? Like what, what's one little nugget you want to leave them with? Ooh, that is a good question. I think
0: how to go on your last. Date. I think that the more self-awareness you can have around why you do what you do is your best bet and coupled with going on your date to have fun. Um, if you go mm-hmm. on your date, I would say like one um, pitfall that my women fall into is that, you know, they don't want this work. They've taken my quiz. They know what their block is. They're doing inner child work They're doing all of this stuff. And which is great. But then the problem sometimes can be is they go on the date and then they're like looking at the situation or their date or the other person from more of like that psychoanalysis perspective when really mm-hmm. I just want them to be present and having fun. Um, So I yeah, think so that no, the more you can of the future be aware
1: trippers of. And...
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. So just being really, really present and um, just deciding to have fun. And I always think, I always tell my clients, like, no matter what, no matter what happens on the state, it's not a waste of time because you're going to learn something from it, but no matter what, just be curious and have fun. And what happens, whatever happens will, will happen. And I think that if you go in with that open mind, then I think those are the best things happen because what's interesting is you'll probably hear a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I met him when I was least expecting it. And, you know, when I was, single when people told me that I just wanted to poke their eyeballs out like oh god <laughs> I'm trying not to care about relationships but I am and so now you're telling me to not care but oh god I just hated when people said that but there's a truth to that and the truth uh-huh. to that is that they were totally unattached to what may or may not happen in any given relationship and uh, unattachment a yeah. whole other conversation I'm not going to get into but I think that a tangible way to look at it is just be curious go with an open mind go with an intention to have fun and just simply to learn about the other person and like what their story is. And that's it.
1: Yeah. I love that. Don't be attached to the outcome. It's really, really hard because we're so outcome oriented, but I think that's excellent advice. Thank you so much, Veronica. This is such good material. And I think people are going to have to listen to it a few times because there's so much offered here and I, it's, it's definitely a binge worthy episode and uh, let us know how our audience can learn more about you. Yeah, so I think the best place to
0: start is going to take my quiz. So you can take my free quiz to figure out what your dating block is. You just go to veronicagrant.com forward slash quiz, and you'll take a quiz. It takes literally just a few minutes. And once you get your results, I'll send you a packet. I have a packet for each um each block with specific tools and resources to help you overcome that specific block, because there might be some, there's different ways to approach, um, you know, your blocks depending on what it is. Obviously I just talked about overarching inner child work, but there's some specific details, um, you know, depending on what it is. And you'll get that once you take your quiz and get your results, you can get that little download to help you, to help you
1: out. Awesome. That sounds really helpful. Well, thank you so much, Veronica, for coming on the show and sharing your obvious passion, your wisdom, and I I like how your brain works. It's um actually similar to mine. You like the you like the psychology of of the coaching world and to understand yeah. the why and go deeper. So I I really respect that. Thank you so much. this is fun. Thank you for having me here today. My pleasure. And thanks, everybody, for listening. If you love our show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It means a lot to us. It helps other people find us and listen. And I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Bye.